Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson for today comes from Hebrews chapter 4. We're reading three verses. Hebrews Chapter 4 is going to serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. You can follow along on page 8, and you can find sermon notes on the next page, page 9. The Holy Spirit, through the writer to the Hebrews, said, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's kind of a a puzzling question to ask, especially after we just heard such an encouraging, inspiring scripture text. But I want to ask you to imagine your worst enemy. Imagine your worst enemy, and, and maybe that's a singular enemy, or maybe it's an entity, but imagine them. And now imagine that they know your next move because they know your every thought. It's a terrifying thought, isn't it? It's something that came into my thoughts this past week because I I couldn't help but reading up on what's going on with the war in Ukraine. and, And there's tons of articles, tons of articles trying to understand what is in the enemy's mind, what, what Putin is thinking. Tons of articles. You, you can look them up. And, and each article says basically the same thing. There is scores of intelligence that our intelligent community and the international intelligence community has on this man. But people are divided. They don't know. Is, is, he, is he unhinged? Has he lost it? Or is he completely in his right mind, but he is just completely as evil as we've always thought he's been? Which is it? Is, is it this one or that? The articles all go back and forth, but they make one point. Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better if we knew? If we knew what the enemy was thinking? And though it goes unsaid, it hints at the, at the inverse. Wouldn't it be terrifying? Wouldn't it be terrifying if the enemy knew exactly what we were thinking? Here's my point of bringing that up. You have an enemy. You have an enemy that is more diabolical than any dictator. You have an enemy that is bigger than any giant like Goliath that we just read from our Old Testament. But do you know what he's thinking? Do you know what he's thinking? Because the truth is, he's not 
the Holy Spirit who's in you, and he's not God who is omniscient, but your enemy knows you. He knows you because he has been collecting intel since humans showed up on the scene. He knows what humans' wants and desires are. He knows very, very well how to get at people. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your next step. And that's a terrifying thought. Here's the way Satan operates. We heard about it in all of our lessons today, that first, here's the way he works. He attacks you when you're at your weakest. He did it for Jesus. It's an often overlooked verse, but after he goes through the three temptations, what did we hear? The devil had finished all his tempting. What did he do? He left him completely? No. He left him for an opportune time. We heard it in our lesson from Hebrews that we are people who are in weakness. We'll get to the help. But we have weaknesses. And, and, and what do you do then? Because that's when the devil attacks. He attacks when we need help, when we're at our weakness. And second, here's how he attacks. With words. Or rather, with lies. Jesus himself said this about Satan. He said, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. And the father of lies speaks lies. You know why? Because he knows. He knows that perhaps one of the greatest weapons he has at his disposal is speaking untruth, the opposite of truth, because it crushes people. Completely crushes people. So now you know what, you, what your enemy is thinking. But how are we to think about that? What I'm going to do today is bring up two lies, two lies that Satan uses to crush us. But my reason for doing this is not so we ruminate on bad things and lies. No, not so we ruminate on it, but so that we are reminded that, that these lies are what they are. They are lies, and we're reminded of that, and we replace them. We replace them with truth. Because if there's one thing that can crush people, it's lies. But if there's one thing that can crush lies, it's the truth. It is the truth of Christ Jesus who came and crushed Satan's head. It is the truth of our Lord, whom the psalm says, is the Lord who saves those who are crushed in spirit. It is the word proclaimed to you by your great high priest, the word which you have, the word which we hold on to and confess. That word, that weapon, it crushes his lies. So here's the first lie. If you're filling in the blanks on page nine, this is our theme for today, that we're looking at Satan's deceitfulness crushed by Christ's high priestness. What is that? Well, let's unpack that. Here's the first lie, that Jesus is unrelatable. Remember, the first thing Satan does is he wants to attack you, particularly when it is not a good time for you, when you are at your weakest, and there, in that moment, in a season of stress, a season of change, a season of sickness, a, an episode of anxiety, what is he going to do? 
He's going to lie and he's going to say, Jesus, you can't relate to this situation. Jesus does not know what you are going through. In fact, Jesus is distant. He's detached from that because he's God. He can't understand your weakness. Oh, and that weakness, God desires compliance. He doesn't deign to care. He doesn't condescend to to get in it. No, 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 no. He can't relate and he doesn't want to. And then he attacks God's word. Remember what our number one weapon is? He attacks God's word and he says, that word, that thing that you think is going to comfort you here, doesn't relate, doesn't apply. It's irrelevant. That was written 2,000 years ago in some ivory tower by dudes who just contemplated Jesus. It doesn't apply to your modern problems and, and your modern sensitivities. It doesn't relate. Jesus is unrelatable. But you see what that lie does? It, it starts, to, starts to engender, well, different beliefs. Different beliefs about our relationship of God. Maybe... God is out to get me. Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe maybe he actually hates me because of my sin. You start to listen to those lies, and and when you start to believe those lies, well, it produces fruit. You know that beliefs turn to attitudes, and and then your attitude is, is one where you're angry, maybe at God or maybe at the world. Maybe you start self-loathing or loathing the world or God. There's bitterness, resentfulness, because then when, when other people try to help you and tell you, you're, you're not alone. God's with you. I'm with you. Use the weapon of the Spirit. You go, no. No, God, God is unrelatable doesn't understand me. Surely doesn't understand what I am going through. That's the deceitfulness. You ready for Christ's high priestness? (laughs) Here's what we know. That Jesus knows exactly what you are going through. That is the truth to replace the lie. And here's the way Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews says it. I'm going to read verse 15 and also get into the next chapter, a few verses later. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weaknesses. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. Now note this, what verse the italics are, chapter 15, that is the writer to the Hebrews telling us a little bit about the high priest, the high priest that operated in Israel that he's comparing Jesus to. We don't have high priests. I don't know any high priests. So this powerful illustration might be lost on us. So let's unpack it. What is he saying that Jesus is your high priest? Think of it this way. First, the high priest would offer sacrifice for the sins of people. Jesus didn't have sins, but High priests in the Old Testament, they did have sins. And so what they would have to do is offer sacrifices first for themselves and then for the sins of everybody. Who was a high priest? 
what was a spiritually mature man, godly man, that didn't choose to become a high priest, but God called them. And with that came a level of understanding, gentleness. The Bible says empathy. You would come and confess your sins, make a sacrifice for your sins. This wasn't a guy who was going to shame you for your sins, but he was going to deal gently with you, empathize with you, because he sinned too. So maybe what's the first way we think of a high priest? Oh, maybe think of it as a friend, someone who you would just say, they get me, they know me, they understand me, they empathize with me. What's the second thing? Well, this is, the, this is where the picture of the high priest gets even deeper. The high priest was set apart, even from the other priests, and, and he alone could offer one sacrifice that was offered on a special day, Yom Kippur, the great day of atonement every year. What the high priest would do is he would go into the temple or the tabernacle, and then there was this dividing curtain before the Ark of the Covenant. He and he alone could go through that curtain, approach God, and what he would do is he would offer sacrifices, one man representing the sins of the entire world or the entire nation of Israel. What can we compare this to? This may be a less warm and fuzzy analogy, but think of a really good defense lawyer, someone who is there to represent you, someone who is there to defend you when you've done wrong, someone who you trust, and someone that you can count on. But you see all of these pictures, maybe your best, most empathetic friend and your best, most favorite defense lawyer, they don't compare because here's the comparison that the writer to the Hebrews are making. You think it's cool that the high priest went before the Ark of the Covenant? This is what he says about Jesus. We have a great high priest who ascended into heaven. He is Jesus, the Son of God. Oh, you think it's really, really cool that you have a friend and a friend like Jesus who can empathize with you. Well, guess what? Jesus is also our high priest who is able to empathize with us even in our weaknesses. Jesus knows exactly what you are going through. Look, the Bible proclaims this message on every page, page after page, that Christ Jesus, true God, yet also true man, completely one, he knows what you are going through. And here's the really interesting part. How does the Bible here in Hebrews describe it? This is empathy. This is empathy. It's a really popular word in our culture to, to talk about being there for people, feeling not for people, but feeling with people. But do we always understand it? Do we understand what that idea is? What I want to do is give you a framework or a definition for what empathy is. And my point in doing this and citing Brene Brown, who's a popular researcher and academic, is, is not just so we know Brene Brown's work or we all become just a little bit more empathetic, although that would be great. My reason for doing that is so that you see what empathy is and you see just how completely, how wonderfully, how truly empathetic Christ is to you. Listen, this is, this is what empathy is. First, it's, it's taking perspective. It is, in other words, being able to, to see things through someone else's eyes, walk in their shoes. 
What does scripture tell us? John chapter one, the word Christ Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And what did we read in our lesson for today? That yes, he walked in our shoes. He took on temptations from the devil himself, just like we do. Christ Jesus has taken on our perspective. More than that, in doing so, he recognizes our emotions. Think about the most powerful emotion in your life right now. The emotions that people feel are are too many to enumerate here, but think about what emotion is being felt in your life most powerfully. Do you think Jesus felt that one? Read through the scriptures. Do you struggle with with what God's will is? Well, this last week, we studied God in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus on Monday, Thursday, praying to his father, saying, Lord, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Yet Jesus struggled with that. Do Do you think you struggle with shortcuts? Like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what's right. This is a Christian grows in his faith by worshiping, taking the sacraments, hearing God's word, but ah, I'm going to see if there's any shortcuts to, to gaining godly, godliness and godly glory. Do you, do you think you've ever struggled with that? Do you think Jesus did? Don't look at the lesson where Satan tempts Jesus with that very strange one. Hey, you want glory? You want, you want to be worshiped? I'll give you all that. Just bow down to me. Jesus felt that. Have you ever been rejected, despised, been frustrated, not, not sure what to do? Well, on account of your faith, yet Jesus felt that. Have you felt sickness? Have you felt pain? Have you felt suffering? Jesus took that on for the world. You name the emotion, Jesus recognizes it. And avoid judgment? Well, here's what empathy experts say, that to avoid judgment, you should never like dismiss someone's experience. You should never minimize it. Say, oh, it's not a big deal. Nor should you act really like surprised by like, oh my goodness, I I can't believe you did that. I can't believe that happened. And what do you see in Jesus? With our weakness, with our sin, he does the same thing. He doesn't say, oh, (laughs) you ate the fruit I told you not to. (laughs) It's okay. And he doesn't shame you for it either. He doesn't say, I can't believe that my disciples keep messing up over and over again. What does he do? He calls sin a sin. He, he avoids judgment. Actually, no, he, he does one better than that. He devoids judgment by emptying God's judgment on himself. He took away all of judgment. So you want to talk about empathy, someone suffering, not experiencing that because of the one with them? Christ Jesus did that and communicate his understanding. Listen, we have a high priest who is Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Christ Jesus has communicated clearly to you again and again that he is able to relate to you. The truth that defeats, that crushes Satan's lie is that he knows everything that you are going through. Because he can empathize. But here's a hot take. Empathy is not enough. 
that might sound shocking or, or it might sound maybe backwards because after all, people say sympathy is not enough. You, you got to show empathy, but empathy is not enough. Here's, here's the problem with empathy. Are you ready? Empathy, picture a best friend able to empathize with you, able to take on your perspective, recognize your emotions, avoid judgment and demonstrate that they, they communicate and understand. Think about that. Even if you had the perfect best friend able to do that all of the time, what changes for you in your weakness? You know, the proverbial picture of empathy is always someone getting down in the pit, but that's where it stops. They can't carry you out of the pit, and that's kind of the point with empathy. They can't, like, fill in the hole for you. They're just there. That's true with Jesus' empathy. Jesus knows everything that you are going through, but is Jesus' empathy enough? Well, Satan would like you to believe it's not. And so even if you do understand that Jesus is always there with you, he's going through everything that you want him to, he also says, even if he's there, you can't count on him. And that's the second lie. The second lie is that Jesus is unreliable. That, hey, even if Jesus is next to you, even if Jesus knows what you're going through and is able to show you that, it's not going to give you his grace and mercy. Not in this situation. Or you don't know if he is. And that's the point with God. You can never trust him. He says he's steadfast, but where is he now? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever, ever, ever been in that situation, a weakness, a place where you need help, and you, and you wonder, where is the Spirit's strength? Where, where is the joy that Jesus gives? Where is the promise and the provision from the Heavenly Father? That's Satan suggesting this lie to you, the lie that Jesus is unreliable. And let's walk through Walk through what happens when you believe that Jesus is unreliable. Maybe that he's relatable, that he's there. I think of the text that I got from a young man this week who, who clearly knows Jesus, believes in Jesus, loves Jesus, but doesn't really trust Jesus can help him in his specific situation. He hasn't thrown himself on Jesus and relied on him. He, he's relying on himself. And I shouldn't throw that young man under the bus, because think about it. You've been there. You know Jesus. You trust him. You know that Jesus loves me. This I know. And yet, how often do we think, I don't think he's going to help me here. I don't really think he's coming through on his word. So what happens? Young men, old men, creep through life without confidence in Christ and confidence that comes from their identity in Christ. What happens is, is women live with bitterness and anger because they don't know that they've been given grace to show grace and mercy to show mercy. Parents, leaders, they don't go boldly before the throne of God's grace because, I don't know, maybe they forgot that they can. 
Old people because of experience turning to arrogance. Young people because of naivete. Just think, well, God's unreliable. They might not say that, but they will definitely say, well, I can only depend on myself. And so they look for the gifts that only God can give in places that that God doesn't give them. This lie, the lie that God is unreliable, that you can't depend and trust on Jesus is the reason why people give up on church, give up on regularly gathering together around God's word and sacrament, gathering together with other Christians to study his word. Why? Because Satan has tricked them to think, guess what? God has promised that you can count on him to give his gifts through word and sacrament. Nah, not necessary. Don't even bother. Not essential. You can't trust him. He might not. Don't waste your time. God is unreliable. Perhaps it surprised you before when I said that empathy is not enough. Jesus's empathy is not enough. Can I explain that? Think about it this way. If Jesus merely was one of us, could see things our way, well, what he did, what he accomplished, that would just remain his own. No, Jesus also needed to be different from us. Jesus, our champion, the one who is our great high priest, he he needed to be two things. He needed to be one of us to relate to us, but he also had to be different from us. And that is the second thing you need to know, the second truth you need to know about Christ's high priestness. Here it is. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Yeah, it's pretty great that Jesus can empathize, that he knows what you're going through, that he can feel what you're feeling. That is pretty cool. He's the same as you, but he's so much more. He's so much different because He is just as we are, yet he did not sin. Unlike the high priests in the Old Testament who were required to offer sacrifices for themselves because they sinned, Jesus was so much more. Jesus was so different because he did not sin. And that completely changes everything, including his empathy. Because his empathy wasn't empty that brings about nothing. No, it brought about some surpassingly great things. Jesus not only knows exactly what you are going through, here's the second truth to replace this lie. Jesus gives exactly what you need to get through. Jesus gives you exactly what you need to get through because not only was he with you, he was different from you, And he was able to ascend to heaven, to go before God's throne. And there, what does it say? You and I get to also approach God's throne, his throne of grace, a throne made out of grace, a throne that gives out grace. We get to go there again and again with confidence. We get to go there and get what? Confidence, mercy, grace. We get there and we get to receive help in our time of need. This 
is why Satan's deceitfulness is crushed by Christ's high priestness. Because Christ was the same as you. And that means that Jesus knows exactly what you are going through. But Jesus was also different from you. And that means that Jesus is able to give you exactly what you need to get through. And so Hebrews gives us just one encouragement. Go and live like a trapeze artist. That's not quite what it says, but can I give you the the word picture there? I'm not going to get into a science, but you've seen tightrope walkers, trapeze artists. They they hold on to a a cross because what it does is it, it provides stability and it provides more gravitational pull down. So when you are in your weakness, when you are going through trials and and need the Lord's help, what's his encouragement? It is to hold firmly, not to a crossbeam, but to the cross of Christ, because there, unmistakably, do we learn that Jesus Christ was able to experience everything we are, in fact, much worse than we have ever experienced, and Christ Jesus holding on to him, professing him. He is the one who has ascended to Jesus on high, and he knows exactly what you are going through, and he empathizes with everything you go through. But I tell you what, even if you gave me a crossbeam like that, a cross pole, I'm not trying that. I don't know about you, but I'm not doing that. But if you gave me a net and a harness, oh, I'd go do that. And that's what Jesus as your great high priest, Jesus being different from you, means. The net, it removes the element of fear. The fact that Christ Jesus is here, and he's not just here, but he knows exactly what you're going through and gives you exactly what you need, It completely removes the element of fear from the Christian's life. You get to approach God's throne, his throne of grace made out of grace from which he gives out grace. His throne that you come to him again and again, six times this week with the same pet sin and then six more times the next week. And you know what he's going to give you? Help in your time of need. Mercy for whatever you're going through. What is he going to do? He's going to give you more grace so that we may find help in our time of need. Christ Jesus is your great high priest. And his high priestness, it crushed Satan's deceitfulness. It means that he is with you all of the time. And Jesus doesn't just know exactly what you're going through. He gives you exactly what you need to get through. May God grant this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.